episode of Crypto with English. Second season, we have a lot of interesting guests and uh, even more interesting events going on in this space as well. And I think anybody who pays attention to the news, it's certainly never a dull moment, at the very least. I'd like to warmly introduce our guest for today's episode, Neil Hassan. He is the founder and producer of the Crypto Hipster podcast, which is uh, found across platforms and broadcasted across many countries and continents. He's also the author of Regeneration X, how Generation X can leverage blockchain tech to save themselves and rebuild America. He also had a very long and illustrious career on Wall Street before entering the Web3 space. So, Camille, thank you very much for coming on to the show today. Uh, it's an absolute treat uh, to have you return. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Uh, it's been a really eventful week, and, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So um, I'm doing great. So for anybody who's, who's listening and, and catching the headlines out there, what news headlines be at the top of anybody's list in this space as to Web3 and blockchain? Uh, the first one is going to be uh, is going to be uh, the SEC's lawsuit against Binance and Coinbase, right? That's been dominating all the conversations recently. And today, I just hit my my X factor with the Crypto Hipster News podcast, and I had to sift through everything to find other news. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of people have their commentary, have their opinions on what's going on, what will happen. And a lot of a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of, you know, every, the SEC dominates the headlines this week. Sure. And for, for the viewers out there, in your own words, give it a breakdown. And can you explain to people why this? Why there's what? Oh, why this event is important. Well, uh, it's, the, you know, if, it's interesting because I attended, I attended a conference um, on Tuesday. And uh, this conference was conference was the institutional side of things was put on by the DC, global DCA in the tab form. And I noticed that it wasn't a lot of crypto uh, natives. It wasn't a lot of crypto. It was a lot of institutional players. Right. And so their their points were that we do need not just clarity. We need, do need not just regulations, but the regulations already exist. For example, in the, in the traditional finance world, you know, custody and um, brokerage and trading and investing in the traditional finance world, all that is separate, right? There's rules and there's terminations, there's regulations, there's all this stuff that exists. And in the U.S., it's all commingled. So you had, sure. like, summer you had Celsius, you had Voyager, you had, and, and they were taking sure. client funds and they were um, instrumenting it and they were serving as basically a hedge fund and not a custodian. So what are those what are those rules? How does that play out in crypto? And basically what the SEC is doing is trying to bring everything under the traditional finance rails. And we're saying in crypto, that doesn't work. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, we built these rails to to not be part of the traditional finance system as an alternative financial system. So there's a lot of area there that has to be discussed and explored. And right now there's a lot of fighting instead of a lot of collaboration. Right. And as far as the SEC is 
you think their response or the reflex to this is one that maybe lacks a lot of uh, nuance, considering the fact that a very, very fungible, say, very, you know, uh, dynamic technology. Oh, it lacks nuance for sure. Um, you know, nuance, um, thought, you know, it, it, like you said to me the other day when you spoke before this, before this, con before this meeting, um, it's sloppy. It's sloppy. It's like they're accusing certain tokens of being securities, but, you know, like Algo Rand, like Binance USD, like Polygon Mag, Sandbox, all these, you know, tokens as being securities. And that adds, you know, there's 67 cryptos that they call securities. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason for what they call it. There's no like, okay, this meets this criteria. I understand that the looking at it as a stock and, you know, if you're buy if you buy a crypto and you expect the price to go up in the future and you just sit back kind of like owning a stock certificate, you expect the company to do stuff. You expect the profit by other people doing the work. It's just, it, you, if you look at it in that light, you know, it's a stock like to them, it's a stock, but it's not a stock. It's cryptocurrencies there. You know, um, it's a completely different instrument. So uh, you have to look at, you know, okay, take into consideration, this is a different instrument. It is not a stock. It is not a bond. Yeah, okay, you could buy anything. Like I could buy a movie poster today, and if the movie poster sales go up in the next year or two or three, then I expect the value of my poster to go from like 10 bucks to 20 bucks. You could look at that and say that anything on the earth is a security. And so, but it's not. You know, it's it's not. It's a consumer product. So you have to look at the instrument. You have to look at the nuance. You have to look at all that and say, okay, we call it a security because X, Y, Z. And tell right. the people. And they're not doing that. So, you know, that's that, that requires nuance. And that nuance is missing. Sure. And, and, you know, for many, many of those tuning in, a lot of these crypto tokens, you know, they do fall into a few kinds of buckets. Some are merely, let's say, a store of value in itself. Example. Then you look at Ethereum tokens, which are effectively you know, utility tokens that can be used for programming and creating decentralized applications. Now, granted, you know, as a token, it does have its own value. You can see it almost, uh, you know, on all, you see it essentially, you know, either accumulate or you could always say lose value in the same way a security can. But it is also a utility token that can be used for programming purposes. So, you know, I look at a lot of this, you know, in the news with say the SEC and let's say the approach to Coinbase, you know, in in particular. And I really I really do wonder as far as how much homework was done ahead of time. Now granted, listen, bad actors can hide anywhere bad things can almost arrive anywhere, let's say in a, you know, a market of financial. But, you know, to your point, one could say it seems a bit sloppy. So what's the, what's the question? <laughs> what's the... <laughs> well, somebody who also does a podcast, you, know, you, reach, you reach a very, you know, sizable audience. How would you how would you break down, let's say, the 
distinction of security tokens, utility tokens. And, you know, in, in layperson's terms, the average person. Security tokens versus utility tokens. I mean, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I, if I'm, so utility tokens first because they're easier, right? If I'm a, if I own, say, for example, I interviewed uh, early on, I interviewed the founder of Fortitude Ranch, Drew Miller, right? He wrote, who are preppers for people who, you know, if there's going to be a natural disaster or something like a pandemic or something where they can come to the, the ranch and they can have membership and they can join, they can, they can, you know, have a place to go. Right. That's, you know, if I were to create a, a coin myself, you know, say I ran my class reunion, you know, on my 20 year class reunion a number of years ago, if I were to create like a reunion coin, which should be part of, being able to fund and finance class reunions, and you, you're part of membership of a group, you know, that you, that serves a utility, that serves a function. You know, security tokens, you know, um, which what the SEC is calling security, which could be anything, you know, um, it could be investment contracts, say, you know, I believe in a team, and a team is building a L1 or L2 platform, a, a protocol or whatever however way to invest, like a DEX or whatever. Um, and I believe that those people are really talented and they're going and what they're building can be the, the real future. Then I'm going to invest early and say, okay, I'm going to sit back here, hold my tokens and wait for them to do all their work. And, uh, that can be labeled as security. So a utility has real world, real world functions, you know, to be part of a group, be part of an organization, be part of something, a community, even board ape, you know, NFTs, you could say that has a utility function. You're part of a group, you're part of an organization, and you belong some, to something. You belong in a community of people. That is a utility, you know. Um, to me, security is more like, okay, this is investment. You know, as far as Ethereum, you know, that is a worldwide, you know, base um, computer, you know. And so some of these others that are designated as securities by the SEC, the you know, Internet computer, you know, Solana, uh, very similar you know, um, so why one is and why one isn't? We need clarity on that. Sure, absolutely. And as far as the general outlook of the currency, do you think it is still a uh, stable investment for at least to, you know, consider for retirement or, you know, creating almost like, say, a savings account? Children's, you know, college and education. Uh, given you know world world events right now, because it does seem like this, you know, at least if we're speaking just on the front of the United States, it's going to be attacked from all, all ends. You know, and by the way, I think it's going to be a blunt weapon type attack. It's not going to be any type of surgical incision to, let's say, maybe remove very specific, very nuanced, say, actors or activities. I do feel like it's going to be this wide sweeping swipe with a giant club as far as everything in anything web through. I believe, um, and I, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, um, I believe it's regulatory capture. You know, I believe, and I could be wrong, this is my view, you know, um, that they're taking the industry out of the hands of entrepreneurs and putting it in the hands of the established institutions, you know, like banks, like, 
corporates like Visa, MasterCard. And you see Visa, MasterCard expanding into South America and Brazil, despite well, Brazil's in South America, but all South America, despite what's going on, these companies are moving and advancing and, and then India and then they're all over the world. In lieu of this unregulatory, like unregulated environment, I see the corporates trying to take over and they're trying to push the stuff under under everything under the purview of banks. And, you know, Bitcoin was created so that the banks would no longer get their fees and you and I could send each other money without paying those fees and, and those, you know, those exorbitant costs. Sure. You know, um, I, I hate personally, I hate to see it taken out of the hands of the entrepreneurs and put it under institutions. You know, I think that's the next, that's actually the next point. I don't think I exactly conceptualized it like that, but it does feel like as far as the direction or the way things are moving in this is that the, the, the project, almost say the resources, you can say the energy for this space is being taken out of the hands of entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think if we were to look at the web2.com, you know, both the bubble, the boom, the both good and the bad, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurs are, are ultimately the ones who shape the industry and, you know, perhaps at least, you know, create many things for good. And I do feel now things are moving a little bit more towards the status quo instead of, you can almost say, the, you know, the realms of the entrepreneurs and the, you know, the minds and bodies that take these great projects. You know, in fact, you know, one of my worries is, is that, you know, if, if let's say regulatory bodies take this wide sleep, wide sweeping strike, strike of a club or a sword, you know, you're not just hitting, let's say, the obvious bad actors, you're also going to be destroying many ways the potential and you're just you're gonna say you're gonna also destroy a lot of these developing great projects and now it's as if you're not gonna have a shot now you're not gonna have a realistic shot to you know uh create these let's say wonderful projects yeah no there you're not you're 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 gonna have like you're gonna have boring and the way the institutions move institutions do not move fast all right right we talk about how bureaucrats like Gary Gensler. I worked at AIG, right? And things move slowly. Like they, 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 like you had to go through red tape. You had to go through departments. You had to go through sign-offs. You had to go through approvals, all that stuff. And this space is meant to be, is meant to move fast. You know, right. like if you look at, and I didn't get in early and I wish I'd kind of like, I'm like looking at it like, oh, I didn't get in early. And I know a couple of people who did to get into Pepe early and they made a lot oh, of money right. you know they made a, but you know that moved that moved so fast to go from a handful of users to you know more than you know a lot of the coins that are that are, have existed in years you know because people had a fear of missing out this space moves fast and you know having it under institutional purview it's going to be boring i mean I guess i guess some people will say you know good investing is boring but you need you need euphoria at some point in order to grow. Right. If I was to take the flip side of that, good reasonable minds argue, hey, listen, Camille, this space will be eventually regulated. So what's the difference if it starts now or just like 
What's the difference if it starts now? I mean, there's certain things I believe that should be regulated. I believe you shouldn't, like, as a Celsius customer slash victim or whatever, whatever you want to call me, I don't like the fact that my money was, I thought, you know, I, I, I was putting it in a custodian. You know, I don't like that my money treated as a hedge fund for their own personal interest and gain, you know, and now I've had to wait a year, you know, and I'm going to wait longer than a year to get my money back that I thought was mine all along with the court later said, oh, no, it belongs to Celsius. Right. Stuff like that can't happen. And the way that can't happen is you you regulate it the same way as you regulate the differences in the Chinese walls in traditional finance. Right. right. So. So, yeah, that's necessary. You know, that's needed. Um, and you can justify behavior. You can justify bad behavior in any way that you want to. But, you know, this place is so new that we are going through learning pain. So not just the founders are learning, not just the entrepreneurs are learning, but the people who are who voluntarily chosen to be customers, we're learning too. And, you right. know, and, okay, it's only money. I'll make it back. Actually, I've been slowly building you know, over the past year to try to get that back. And I'm going to someday. Um, right. But had I not, I wouldn't have written all my books. I wouldn't have put my podcasts under my pla- under my own platform. I wouldn't have chosen to be an entrepreneur, you know, because I was perfectly content work doing, doing other people's work for them, for the, you know, for their game. Right. So right. being in that position makes you, forces you sometimes to, you know, to be in a different role to put yourself into a different role than you've been in before. Very, uh, very good point. And you mentioned Pepe coin earlier. So, uh, you know, for those, uh, for those of you who've been, you know, either following Twitter or, you know, coin telegraph or any publication, this is a very, very explosive, almost say point for overall practical business that has performed very well recently. And whenever I bring this topic up, and not, not have a coin in particular, but let's say meat coins or some of the kind of sillier coins out there, it is a little controversial for people who are in this space. So I wanted to know from your opinion, uh, what's your feeling on things like meat coin, Doge coin, and you know, all the various you know, iterations, kind of these very silly coins that, you know, they don't exactly have a clear purpose, but they have very vibrant, very passionate communities. Well, let's look at Dogecoin first. Okay. Sure. Doge has a purpose. All right. Dogecoin's not yes. just a meme. Yes, Doge. please uh, explain this. Yeah, Dogecoin um, in 2015, 16, 14, maybe, Charlie Lee, the founder of uh, Litecoin, chose to help the the Dogecoin community by doing merge mining of Dogecoin and Litecoin. What does that do? That helps Dogecoin obviously with you know efficiencies, but it also helps Litecoin with an increase and improved hash rate. The hash rate is really important to be able to to have long term value. And if you look at the numbers in the hash rate, and you look at the number of users in Litecoin recently, you know that has only been going up. And it's a benefit of the merge mining. So Dogecoin has a very impactful purpose and a use case. Uh, Shiba Inu, another meme coin, people say just a meme, but it has a vibrant community that's built in the sure. You know, they're doing that. Right. But they, they have websites like you'll 
by Paul, this guy on Paulie on Twitter, you'll get nothing.eth. And people sent him $1.2 million. And guess what they got? They got nothing. You know, that is a pure money grab. So there's, you know, Pepe has a right. perfect, you know, in Hong Kong, there's a community to building that. So, you know, you have to really look at, okay, what is it? Is it just a money grab? Is, you know, is it, what's the purpose of it? And then, you know, you look at BitBoy, you know, BitBoy Crypto and this whole Ben thing. And, you know, I don't want to get into the details, but it looks a little bit like, you know, some of the influencers might have shilled, you know, a money grab. And that's a problem. But when you're taking advantage of retail customers who don't know any better, but the onus has to be also on the retail customers, you know, who to investigate who you're giving your money to. who And what is this person? Sure. What have they done and what's their track record? And have they ever even worked? You know, because sure. a lot a lot of these influencers, they like call themselves influencers, they have a million followers, but they, they couldn't tell you. They never worked. They couldn't tell you where the bathroom or the copier is. Sure. <laughs> very, uh, you know, very good point. And you know, listen, as a, you know, as, as a podcaster, as I would say, as do you have an opinion about BitBoy and let's say the Ben token and things regarding that? I'll tell you my take first. So when I saw the headlines on that, you know, I would say, to be candid, it's a little disturbing. Uh, I think to simply come out with a coin, and if let's say if you are technically a influencer or thought leader in this space, you're coming out with like a self-styled coin that is that is at least seemingly without purpose. It's not like, you know, listen, it's not like, let's say you and I team up and we're creating the successor to Ethereum. We're creating a coin, you know, to, let's say, create decentralized applications on. And let's say we, let's say, let's say we just call it the, uh, we'll call it Hypercoin or something like that. Like that, I think the way I describe it, that would sound like a legitimate project. But when I saw Ben coin, and I believe it is a coin for, you know, all those who, who are named Ben, but it's mostly, you know, BitBoy's, you know, I guess you could say, coin. I, I I saw kind of a lot of red flags. You'd see, you're going to have a lot of people throw money at this, and then people are going to be surprised why they get that or when they get that. You know, it, so for me, I looked at that. I think this, if you're in a position where you have a voice and you can reach a lot of people, there's also a great chance to hurt a lot of people. If, let's say, you put out your own kind of security like that. And I think if you put out your own security, you better damn well know what the hell you're talking about. And I think you have a duty to not harm people. Yeah, I agree. You have a duty not to, you have a duty not to harm people and you have a duty to be full, full, have full disclosure. And when you're sure. talking circles... You're confusing people, you know, and right. a lot of the a lot of the posts on Twitter, people put that you talk, they talk in circles. So you have to really dive into, OK, and find and discover what's the base underlying assumption here. And that's not easy. I would I would say start with articles where there are people like people said over 500, almost 500 times that Bitcoin is dead. Right. Um, and. and 
a great place is to look at those articles and then look at the underlying assumptions and then and then say, okay, they're missing this or this is wrong or whatever. And that's great practice in order to go live and on Twitter when you have a fear of missing out, when you see everybody you think everybody around you is making money um, and they're not because there's winners and losers on each side. We say, oh, this person made money. So let me try. To... So when you're dealing with your emotions and you can't, you don't have practice of fighting the under or discovering the underlying assumptions, you're in a bad spot. You know, right. So that's a lot of what happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in your opinion, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, generally, how much of that market is driven by social? Because there is this common, you could say, quip, a dodge. It's that if you want to have a successful crypto token, you need to have a, you need to have a successful social media platform. I've heard that in iterations. Of it. Um. I think you need to have a successful community, you know? Right. Uh, well, specifically, yes, that's exactly. You, you have, you have these influencers and call them, they saw, they call themselves influencers who have a million followers or more, more than a million followers. How many people do they actually know in real life? A handful, you know, and yeah. those million followers, like, especially with somebody like, like, um, like Simon Dixon, for example, he has like a hundred thousand. How many of them are bots? And I've seen bots, and that's just one guy. I've seen bots respond to so many people that, and you know they're bots, but like, how do I, I don't know how to buy bots for myself and I wouldn't use them because I like to grow my audience sure. as a whole, you know, to have this organic, organic sure. relationship. And, you know, um, but a lot of people use bots and that's a problem, you know. So um, it shows hyperinflated numbers. You know, it shows hyperinflated audience and, you know, like, bots don't buy anything, you know. Uh, they no. sure comment on social media or they, con you know, but they, they're not going to buy from you. They're not going to listen to you. And how do you disguise like that to me in itself is fraud. Because you're overflating your real statistics. Sure. Yeah, and listen, it, it seems to be a common practice out there in social media where, listen, for the for the right price, I mean, by you know AI bots pump up, inflate your numbers, give people the impression that you have a vibrant, active community where you may otherwise not have. So, you know, it is a very, you know, particular, but it's also a practice that doesn't seem to be talked about a lot. Like, I don't necessarily see articles about it, but it, it, but everybody knows about it. You know, listen, if you're broadcasting in this space, it's, it's, it's an open secret or it's like the elephant in the room. You know, listen, yeah, some people use bots, some people don't. Some people with, with very huge inflated numbers use or heavily, you know, rely on bots. So I, I really wonder if we're going to get kind of get to either the, time and moment in media history where, where, you know, people talk about that a lot because there is also a great, you know, potential for danger in that, especially if, let's say, listen, I'm not making conclusions necessarily about, like, let's say, BitBoy, but if you have a big platform where you can reach a lot of people and many of your followers or bots, you know, parroting whatever you say, I mean, that is a very, very, you know, dangerous thing. You're convincing people have a big voice and at least objectively 
you have the numbers. Where in fact, instead, you know, you essentially have, you know, AI programming, you know, essentially, you know, as a catalyst to either, you know, if you're a bad actor to certainly uh, enrich yourself. You know, those things are, are very dangerous. And listen, those numbers are objectively important to most people. How much of a following does this person have? What kind of posts and interaction does this person get from their audience? You know, people do care about that. They do. And if it impacts, unfortunately, if it impacts retail users or consumers, the consumer uh, protection agencies, not the SEC, that's a, you know, institutional protection agency. Um, but the consumer protection agencies in the U.S. are so inundated with uh, frauds and scams from traditional finance. It's going to take a while. Like, well, you know, that goes to my next question. You were talking about how slow and I and I think for you. Having a illustrious long career on Wall Street, you know, AIG in particular, you know, I'm sure you get, you could say, a first person perspective on how slow institutions can move. So if we can be candid here, let's say if we're to play devil's advocate with the SEC, with the SEC here, and listen, nobody or nothing is above reproach. And, you know, I think we can all, you know, certainly or at least should be open to areas of improvement. But is the SEC, the ball when it comes to technology because to me it, it begs the question how effective are they at keeping up with these technological like you and i are, are talking about ai bots how influencers are inflating their numbers we're talking about you know coinbase and kind of this wide sweeping strike at you know both good and bad it's like an overcorrection. that's what it looks like to me so from your point of view how behind the ball could the SEC be as far as, in a very nuanced and tactical way, understanding and even, let's say, preventing uh, some of these type of things? Because it seems to me, if, there, if, if, if the approach is to take a very typical Web2 era attack on this, you're not going to keep up. You can't. This, and as you mentioned, Web3, it is constantly changing. And I understand maybe the status quo wants to make it more of their, you know, instrument than anything else. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but it also seems like this. Even when the bad guys are telegraphing the attack, you're still not, you know, blocking or dotting. They're behind. Um, they are. It was funny because I went to this conference on Tuesday and I sat at the table, at a table around out, and I sat next to two people from the SEC. And wow. I said, I have a weekly, I have a weekly news show where I end up bashing Gary Gensler every week, you know, and I said, nothing personal, you know, to you, but, you know, uh, you guys were really antiquated right. and, you know, they shook their heads. They kind of knew, um, are they behind? Yeah. When you have, when you have a leader, you know, and I wouldn't call a man a leader and, you know, uh, his, my beef with him is, is far different than, you know, most people in crypto because they look at he's attacking crypto and I'm like, you know, um, back in 2019, MIT had a conference and they said they're they're terminating they're terminating they're 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 calling something for the first time blockchain ethics for the first time ever. No one and, and people showed up and he then taught a course on, you know, ethics and blockchain at MIT 
And they said it was for the first time ever, but a year and a half before that, I wrote my first book, Blockchain Ethics. I was, I was just going to say that, yes. Your, so your, I, your first book on blockchain ethics came out much longer, uh, much earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, you know, I'm thinking if somebody ever had their intellectual property stolen and used by somebody else to get into a position at the SEC, why wasn't it the person who actually did it? <laughs> you know, right. so, or why, why have I been told over the years that I'm retired and I'm not, you know? So right. leaving, leaving my personal beef aside, you know, um, you're trying to slow down the market so that institutional players like banks can catch up, you know, um, they're not ever going to catch up. You know, they, they I mean, they, J.P. Morgan, you know, has used Ethereum, but they've been bashing, Jimmy Diamond's been bashing Bitcoin for years. Why? He's trying to slow down the price. Why? So they can buy. I happen to know, you know, investment banks who want to buy Bitcoin. Like they, people there, I know that they want to buy Bitcoin. They want the price lower. How do you make the price right. lower? Or you create unregulatory, regulatory uncertainty. You slow things down, you, you know, but the slowdown has a benefit, too. The prices are not where they should be. Like I expected with the Litecoin having coming up in August that the price of Litecoin will be shooting up right now. It's not. Okay, what does that offer me? That offers me the opportunity if I ever get cash in the door to buy, you know, and right. as I get cash in the door to buy more, to accumulate. So for the retail investors who believe in this for the long term, I'm going to say the next two or three years might be an awesome time to accumulate so that when things do shake out and when things do work out, you know, the prices will then jump and be higher. And kind of like kind of like Amazon in 1999, the price was down to what, a dollar? And then by 2016, the price Something was like a that. Yes. I expect that to happen. I hope it happens when I'm still alive. Yeah. So then I can be retired. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And what's your take on central bank digital currency? What's your take on that? I like as a retail guy, like I'm gonna talk about this conference again this week. The more and more I'm outside of institutional, like the more the longer I go being a founder and author and entrepreneur, being on my own, the less I have in common with institutional players. All the institutional sure. Want this comment? Want the CBDC because it gives them stability. As an investor in crypto, I'm kind of attracted to the potential of, you know, um, skyrocketing prices. And to me, you know, a CBDC is always going to be like a dollar. You know, and I'm like, I have sure. no, I, no reason to put my money under the mattress. You know, and to me, having a CBDC is putting the money under the mattress. You know, so I really like, uh -huh. but if you look at international trade, if you look at foreign exchange, if you look at all these things that corporations do regularly and they have to pay a lot of fees for, you know, to transmit money overseas, and you look at CBDCs, yeah, they're incredibly helpful. You know, they're, they're, right. they're beneficial, like, and it will be a breakthrough to be able to have something like that as a, at a corporate level so that I'm a treasurer. I save my company millions and billions. And I'm like, that's cool, but I'm not a corporate treasurer. I'm a retail investor. So for me as a retail investor, I'm not going to buy CBDCs. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I would say objectively, it certainly lacks either, you know, volatility or, you know, you could even say broader interest to really, you know, make some you know, 
make, I guess you could say, make some sort of, you know, genuine or, you know, substantial, you know, returns on that. And, you know, certainly when I, whenever I hear about CBD, I catch they either talking heads in the news or, you know, what other people are saying, uh, people are, you know, concerned about, you know, privacy rights. You know, people are, are, are worried about, you know, kind of the ever-growing, you could almost say, centralization of, you know, their lives, the over-regulation, or, you know, even say the over-surveillance of people's habits. And so, you know, that's often what I hear. And listen, you know, looking at the writing on the wall, you know, it, it, it's logical for people to feel that way. I'll tell you, I presented and spoke, I was, I was asked to speak in front of my son's seventh grade uh, auditorium yesterday in front of uh, 97. Yeah, no problem. And, and um, you know, one of the questions, I had a Q&A section at the end, and I was talking about my Ukraine book, right? And the kids were like, because you know, they go by what their parents tell them about Bitcoin that has no value, right? And so what's, what's the value, all right? I said, for the first time in human history, you and I can send each other money, and the whole, and, and the whole world can see that we did that. Right. I used to build databases who had access to the information. I had it, you know, and the departments heads had gave it to them. Right. But now we can do a data transaction and the whole entire world can validate and see that we did a transaction and I can send you money. So it doesn't have to take six weeks or eight weeks to go through hoops. So if you're if you're donating to someone like Ukraine, who's been a victim of like an actual victim of an aggressive country, attacking you you can have money sent to you from anywhere in the world so that you can use that money to rebuild who you are rebuild your economy and use that to 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 finance war you know so for the that's the first time ever in human history so if the price is zero if the price is 20 billion dollars for bitcoin that's not the most important thing the most important thing is decentralization and with the cbdc's and the more important thing is are these countries involved in building a future like if they're building cbdc's fine right whatever are they looking forward to the future to build regulations and build legislation that will benefit their country kind of like hong kong kind of like pakistan announced this week what are you actually doing to further your country are you moving ahead or are you moving behind in my views the u.s is moving behind you know um, while other countries are moving forward, and that's problematic, but you have to look at what they're doing, and then maybe, hey, say, these are the lessons learned um, from these countries. Can we apply them here? That's a more insightful and productive conversation to have. You know, we, we should be having it. Absolutely, and you know, as um, as I announced earlier on the episode, for a prolific author, web. Bitcoin, you know, subject matters. You know, if you could explain to the audience how many books have you written, and you could also tell the audience which ones were your favorite to write. Well, uh, my book on Ukraine, Old Paradigms Die Hard, is probably one of my favorites. Um, I've been recently, I've been, you know, taking some, I've been having fun with titles, um, and I get a lot of complaints about my titles. People don't don't buy the books, but they complain about the titles. So I guess I'm getting some traction. Um, before October, I had four. Now I have 150 and I'm writing my 151st. So I kind of have the efficiency down. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Thank you. Um, so that's that's probably my favorite. I mean, I have a couple of books here on the bookshelf, and this is my. I'm going to turn the, the camera on my bookshelf. That's that's my bookshelf right now, and then up there. So, um, but yeah, um, why did I start writing? You know, um, was a more important question. And last June, last June when you interviewed me, you know, I had, I had, um, I've been fighting. Uh, they, you know. I'm a patient of Sloan Kettering and I've been fighting um, a tumor for, you know, for a year and a half. Oh and I had an operation, uh, you know, actually I had MRIs were all fine when you and I thought that was, I was getting better. And in September, uh, three months later, um, I had a five hour operation. I had like 40 tumors and, um, you know, I've been fighting that since. And I said, you know, I, I really want to make my books, you know, my podcasts into books, I better get busy. So I started writing them as a way to over, to, to help recover, you know, uh, and, um, as a way to help my mental health and a way to leave a kind of a legacy if I could, you know, um, and I've been on chemo now for three months and there, we have mixed improvement in, you know, the, uh, the tumors I have. And, and, um, um, so, I'm doing what the doctors tell me to do. I've lost about 45 pounds and um, by, by eating healthy, I'm trying to get better. And so this, the writing the books helps me to, to fight, you know, and, 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 um, you know, build for my future while I'm battling with my health issues. And hopefully I can use it to overcome that. Um, so that's what keeps driving me. And I'm like, I feel better about myself and my life every time I write a book. So I write them, you know, and I write them, um, wow. And that's, that's the main, that was the main driving force behind it. Well, that's, uh, that's incredible. Um, so kind of facing your own mortality, like, and kind of picking things into hyperdrive and, and coming out with, with all of those, all of those books. What did you learn about yourself? process and what did you learn about let's say how the world has changed because I, I think when you're and like I said you know I would imagine when you're when you're faced with that and by the way I'm sorry I had to go through and are continuing to go through you know you know all of all those all those bad things but I would imagine when facing your you know obviously it it reframes your entire and as you said, you, you, you hit this into warp speed, and now you're on your 151st book. So I would, I would want to you know, ask you, what did you learn about yourself, and what type of things would you want people to know about life? Whether it's Web3, whether it's about you know, entrepreneurship or anything. You know, because you can't, there's certain types of wisdom in life you cannot get unless through experience. I uh, I was always told when I worked at uh, when I worked at AIG, my friends there, that I was the I was the, one of the best fighters they'd have ever seen. I just didn't believe them, you know. Uh, right. Now I know I fight, you know, and I know that every day, like I'm I'm confronted with conflict, but I know how to deal with it, you know. Right. Um, before I always had I always had difficulty, like if I went into a social setting, you know, um, like. You know, being like 
I would find like one or two people and then like not talk to the rest, like like my so like safety people to hang out with, right? Sure. And in the past several months, I've I've also you know my my boys, they and I've been to all the baseball games and they do two leagues apiece, travel in and house, and I'm right. able to other dads and other moms and the parents and just hang out and be comfortable, you know, in my own skin. And right. why? Because number one, I think I've been able to to develop compassion and understanding and empathy, definitely empathy. I think I've gained, you know, um some maturity as far as, you know, um getting along with other people um and being around them. And um I've also, you know, uh resiliency, you know. Um, how do you, how do you build and gain resiliency? Cause like I have these tumors, like my, my DNA changed, right? I can't control right. that. I have no control over the fact that my DNA changed, right? It's bad luck, right? I have everything that I can control over how I react and respond to it. So how do I, and my wife and I relationship has gotten better even, you know, um, and you know, I'm present for, as a dad, present as a husband and I, while they're in school and they're going to do summer camps and I'm going to continue to write while they're in camp, right? So how do I, you know, show up for life on a daily basis with a positive attitude, you know, and not yeah. say everything sucks? Because when I worked at AIG, you know, I'll tell you, I don't want to get up in the morning a lot of mornings. I don't want to drive to work. I don't want to, like, I did not, you know, I felt like part of me was dead, you know? And now, right. hey, I lost a lot of money in Celsius. <laughs> right, people haven't bought the books the way I expected or the way I had hoped. Right, <laughs> I show up every day and I do what I have to do, and that being fully committed to my commitments, right, is well, you know, if you do that, you will find personal freedom no matter what the external situation. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible, and you know, for for a lot of people out there, they're pursuing a dream. Often throughout the process, people are going to get negative parents, people, family members, friends, and things like that. So, you know, what advice would you give to people who are, let's say, you know, in a difficult spot, you know, health or otherwise, and they're pursuing something that is a worthy, but maybe they have these moments where they question. And I know we're going to see a lot more of these stories and hear a lot more of the stories on my show. But what would you, what advice would you give to those people who are like? You know, listen, this is my dream. I've come this far, but, you know, life is kicking my ass right now. Should I give up? Should I, should I just go get, you know, should I take, you could almost say, the pedestrian path that everybody else is doing? Or should, or should I charge forward? I think a lot of people face that. And, you know, listen, I, I, get, I get, you know, you can either say, you know, emails, messages all the time where people do have these kind of existential struggles and I think when you're facing your own mortality that restrains it so you know, for people who are in the in the fight what would you say to them don't give up the fight I mean you know believe in yourself and continue to do what you think is going to like you know I had a conversation like a year and a half ago with Tim Draper oh yes billionaire VC and I asked him for career advice right he said, I'm not going to give you career advice. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, 
do what you love and the money will come, you know? And um, so I do what I love and like writing is not necessarily what I love, but like being prolific and, and continuing to, to move forward toward my goal and, you know, my mortality, you know, and leaving that legacy and, you know, providing opportunities and trying to create something that is what I love. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, I'm in, I'm in community with, you know, let's say I'm in a 12 step program. Right. And, you know, if they said, well, Jamil's okay. He's going through all this stuff. And if he did it, I could do it too. You know, you have no idea how many people that, you know, come to me like, oh, you did that? How, how? And like, you know, and they're going through something similar and they're seeing that I'm going through it and they're like, yeah. So it gives them inspiration. So if you're thinking about quitting just because, you know, if things aren't working out for you at the current moment, you really have no idea who's looking at you, who's watching you, Very who's who's learning from you and what you're doing so that they can do it for themselves in their life, you know? So I would say be a power of example. And that probably, you know, that exceeds, you know, to the going back into the status quo, especially if it's a status quo that you never really liked to begin with, you know, then you're going to feel like I did. Hey, gee, at times I felt dead, you know, um, but I, things might not necessarily get better, but I got better. You know, and the people around me got better. Right. And, and listen, uh, you know, you talked about the uh, power of example. I think, you know, children, friends, you know, acquaintances, you know, I think when it comes to you as a person, for me or anybody, you know, people are still going to be more in attune to what your actions are, you know, ultimately over, let's say, you know, whatever whatever you may, you may say or do. So, you know, also being a father, you know, I, I truly do understand, like you, the power, you know, the power of example. And I think this, you know, from one dad to another, the fact that you're showing your kids that despite this, you didn't just pursue your goal, you went even harder at it. 151 books now. That is truly a legendary uh, example of perseverance and really putting your whole heart in action to your beliefs. And that is what is transformational. That is what people will be inspired by. And that is what people follow. Like I said, you know, from one dad to another, you know, I am beyond inspired and proud of what you have accomplished. And you, you can say what you, you know, how, uh, I guess you could say, the burdens you face and how gracefully you carried it. And like I said, Act your goals even harder. I think that's what life is about. I'm not going to sit in a quarter and cry myself to death. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can. And hey, you know, um, there is for what I have. I have called it's called desmoid tumors. A lot of people out there have them. Um, and so, but there's a drug that's coming down the pike, and it's in third day of third uh, wave of FDA approval right now. Uh, so you know, I got to right. shift. The camp. <laughs> can down the road for a year and I lived in North Dakota for a year in the winter time, you know, I can, I can do that standing on my head, you know? Um, right. So that's, you know, um, so that I got to be able to create perspective, right. 
and then say, okay, what am I going to do every day to, to live into the perspective and um, not get lost in, in, in the daily, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or whatever, or, you know, up with whatever the media is telling me every single day, you know? Right. And, you know, as a final question, what advice would you give to anybody to get their start with? You know, if there's so much information out there, one may go to you or me or anybody. Where do I start? Where do, I mean, depending on we're talking about crypto or you're talking about life, you know, <laughs> crypto, I would say I invite you to please listen to my podcast. My podcast is Crypto Hipster. You know, you find the Crypto Hipster. Yeah. So it's anchor.fm slash Crypto Hipster. Uh, it's uh, Apple, Amazon. You know, uh, I have a weekly news show called The X Factor where I bash Gary Gensler. Um, and, uh, is Gary Gensler to you is what Kevin O'Leary is to me? Yes. <laughs> He's that arch nemesis. Got it. And, you know, so I have that, but I have other, I have interviews where I interview entrepreneurs, founders, thought leaders, executives in crypto and blockchain. And my goal is to draw out the thought leadership and present that to the world. Um, you know, that's, that's so, so, and then my books are all on Amazon under Crypto Hipster. You can Google Crypto Hipster. Um, and please, and, you know, if you want to be educated in crypto and blockchain, you know, it's not my, I'm just the, I'm the facilitator. I'm drawing out people's thought leadership. They're talking about their companies, what they do. So listen, please listen to all of them. I've listened, I've interviewed some incredible people, including you and your podcast coming out tomorrow. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity. And as far as, as far as life, you know, um, I have a goal as far as number of books, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I want to someday get past L. Ron Hubbard, who wrote 1,084 books. Um, oh, I don't wow. think me, this is going to take me maybe a decade, <laughs> you know, uh, that's my goal. But, you know, to read those books, but like, you know, when you're stagnant or you're stuck, um, roll the ball. You know, a man once told me, you know, Jamil handed me the, a, a, a ball, a soccer ball. He's like, I was like, I didn't know what to do. He's like, Jamil, roll the ball. So. When you roll the ball, things happen, you know, and so, but, you know, maybe someday I could be an inspirational speaker. I'm, I'm, a, John, I'm a John Maxwell certified speaker, um, but. I think I'll uh, be seeing you on a TED Talk or, or a few of them. Yeah, I have a good feeling. And maybe that's something else I could try, you know, um, that'd be cool. But yeah, um, right now, Amazon and uh, Apple for my podcasts. You hear that, everybody? I think uh, one of the lessons we can take away from this talk, you know, Jamil, uh, you know, it was an absolute pleasure having you back on the show today. And I'm, I'm absolutely astounded and proud that all the accomplishments you've, you've made thus far, especially, you know, in, you know in, in spite of, you know, in spite of those circumstances. And, you know, I'll, I'll very much be looking out for your, your books. And I'm looking forward to perhaps maybe later this year when you come back on and you and I can recap as far as the happenings and going on of what's going of, of really this, this space in general and what direction it's going to, you know, go in. And, you know, I, I will say is I think one a subject matter expert to another, you know, I've greatly respected your work, you know, both, you know, you know, both in, you know, podcasting and book form for the things you've done, because, you know, I think you've really done the work and I think your sincerity comes out in both what you say and what you write. So, you know, for me, it, it's always an absolute pleasure. It's absolute treat to you know, have you on the show and, you know, riff back and forth about, you know, what 
going on. So say, you know, uh, the ultimate thanks to you for, uh, for, you know, joining me today on, on this episode. Thank you very much for having me. Real honor and pleasure. Appreciate it greatly. Anyway, Jamil, thank you very much. Have a wonderful weekend with, uh, you know, your Thank you. In your family. Thank you. You know, let's pull out excerpts and see see uh, see where history is going. Awesome. Real, take care. Have an All awesome right. weekend. You too. You too. Thank you.